Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella and today is special. It's special because I'm joined by Miss Tilly Harris and Tilly is not just a guest, you guys. She is near and dear to my heart. She and I have been working together for a while and Tilly is my writing partner and we are working on a special project for you guys that I will tell you about one day, but we're not ready to talk about it yet. Tilly, will you please introduce yourself and tell everybody who you are and what you do? Yes, thank you, Ella. I'm Tilly Harris and I write with Ella, but I'm based in London and I have a creative strategy and writing company. We support a lot of well-being organizations to to write materials that, that change behavior and get people living their best lives really. I'm also a mum and a wife and uh, a squilly and other things, but essentially that's me. A lot of people already know you, and that is because you came to our Live Better retreat in Arizona. And I will just put it this way. Everybody at the retreat was like, I just feel cooler because I know Tilly and because I have <laughs> time with Tilly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm very cool and also very sexy. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. You are sexy. Okay. <laughs> Tilly and I have had lots of adventures together. We have this habit of just meeting up when we're in different cities and working on our stuff. And so we've had the good fortune to meet in Paris, to meet in New York, to meet in Scottsdale, Arizona. Tilly, where's next for us? Yeah, it's it, it doesn't suck. I think I think um I don't know. I think we could do the whole map. And I think we'll go to the south of England. Let's go to Cornwall too. You guys, I will be over in the UK for the entire month of July this summer. And so Tilly and I will be working together over there. And I will one hundred percent have a London meetup. So if you're in the UK or anywhere, if you're within a two hour flight of the UK, I expect you to be there. So come have dinner and cocktails with Tilly and I in London later this summer. All right, Tilly, enough of that. I want to tell everybody what we're doing. Okay. One of the things that I have learned by having these conversations in this listen-in series and interviewing my patrons. Those are the people that support the show on Patreon, who I'm ever so grateful to. Those conversations have been so, so illustrative for me. And you guys have really enjoyed them according to your feedback. And I just enjoy a dialogue, honestly, so much more than I enjoy a monologue. And so I thought it'd be fun for us to get on the air together and answer some questions that have been pouring in about relationships. It's going to be great. Okay, so a couple disclaimers, because you know me, I like to get the disclaimers out of the way because I live in America and we're litigious. <laughs> okay, the first thing is everybody that submits any kind of question to us, and you can do that by sending it to justask at onairwithella.com, Every, and also social media. I've been getting questions from people from all over the place, but every question is treated confidentially. So when we use a name, it's made up, or we use a handle or something, but we protect your anonymity. The other thing, though, is... I'm not a psychologist. I know, I know, I know. I have my PhD in Google, but I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counselor. Tilly, you have some expertise that I'd like to get on the table, but neither of us is advising anyone on what to do. I like to look at it as a chat amongst girlfriends. Yeah. Ella, you know, I would avoid the word expertise and maybe use the word interest. So I'm fascinated by people and why they do what they do. And because of that, um, I have a compulsive studying habit. So I have a few degrees. I, I have a, a 
Bachelor of Science in, in Social Anthropology. I have an, another degree in Journalism. And I also have a Master's of Science in Psychodynamics, which is kind of like psychotherapy and, and, and um, kind of Freudian therapy. But really, th th they don't qualify me to do or say anything. They, they just illustrate the fact that I'm kind of geeky about this stuff. Tilly, those degrees are almost as exciting as my degree in Google University. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's fine. Whatever works for you. No, in all seriousness, we just have experiences and alternate points of view. And and sometimes our points of view are, are not always in alignment either. Like Tilly and I feel very comfortable disagreeing with one another. So this will be interesting because we want to attack your questions from our experience, from our perspective, and hopefully give you guys a new way to see things. And I think my hypothesis is that, that these questions are bigger than the question that our answers are bigger than the individual. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely that. Really, these questions are a great opportunity to, to kind of have a think about some of the broader issues that they bring up. I, I think it's just a really nice way to pin a conversation together, really. Today, what we did was we chose a theme. So we pulled out some questions, again, that you sent to just ask at onairwithella.com. And all of these questions today, there are three I want to get out on the table, and they all have to do with female friendships. So that is really about losing them, about maintaining them, and about managing them. So today, Today's theme is female friendships. Okay, Tilly, I'm just going to read our first question. Let's just jump in. And that is from Broke Up With My Best Friend. Broke Up With My Best Friend says, My best friend and coworker of 18 years developed a pretty dark drinking problem. She got divorced and also became involved with a man who treated her terribly. When I showed concern about her drinking, she started lying to me about it. When I was vocal about how her man was treating her terribly, she became very defensive. We started spending less time together and things became very strained between us. And last year, I ended the friendship. It was taking too much of a toll on me and the negativity, the lies, gaslighting, and self-sabotaging on her part were draining me. I know I did the right thing, but I still feel guilty. Who gives up on a friend, especially one who is so troubled? I know I can't help her. She doesn't want my help, and she resents my feelings about wanting better for her. But I miss the time she made me laugh so hard I'd almost pee my pants. I see her at work. She says, I see her at work, and it is awkward. We avoid each other at all costs. I know I did the right thing, so why does it feel uncomfortable? Whew. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, it is a lot. It is a lot. And it, it probably feels familiar to a lot of people as well in some ways. I mean, the, the first thing I would say is, is, is of, of course, it's OK to not see her. It's of course, it's OK to not want to spend time with someone that makes you feel um, negativity and lies and that you, you're experiencing self-sabotage. I, th I think we don't have friends to make us feel like that. But I, th I, th I think there's a lot more to say about this letter, actually, Ella. Um, I mean, one, one of the things, I mean, you know, that for me, narrative is a really important kind of idea, the stories that we tell. And, and I think that we do have a story that friendship lasts forever, particularly as women, actually. We have like a massive vocabulary for when romantic relationships come to an end. But no one really talks about friendships ending. And in fact, when they do, there's something slightly shaming or uncomfortable about it. It's, it's certainly not something that people talk about in the same way. You know, if you have a breakup or, or a divorce, you know, the world is there for you saying how terrible that must be. But but friendship, it, there's an awkwardness around the end of a friendship. Oh, that's so true. I think one of the reasons why it is painful is because we have this kind of mythical idea that they are fixed and permanent. And I suppose one of the re reassuring things about a friend is, is that, we have a friend simply because they are a friend and we keep them simply because they are a friend. And, and there's something really wonderful about that. And we want them to be forever. 
and, and, and when we lose them, whether it's our choice or not, I, I think there's a certain amount of grief involved, a letting go, and, and, and one that you can't really talk about very well. And don't you think it's just as crushing? I mean, I've had, I have had quantity-wise more friends break my heart than romantic partners who have been allowed to break my heart. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And they are etched as deeply on me. Absolutely true. And I think, again, we we are taught, you know, when we break up, we're told it's not you and maybe it wasn't the right time and all of this. Whereas when we lose a friendship, we're stuck there on our own with it because there's no words for it. Partly, actually, I think words are to blame because there's a kind of semantic trick, you know, like we use the same word for everyone who's not your partner or your family. So so we use friend for everything from a kind of work buddy through to the person you've known since you were six. And I think that makes it confusing because we see them as in the same category and having the same rules. But in actual fact, these are, these are very different connections with people. There's so much truth in that, especially when you look at social media. I mean, quite literally, you might have 500 friends. Exactly, Ella, exactly. And it, it kind of flattens them into the same category. And they're really, really not. We can also have several different friendships with one person over time, I think. You know, I mean... Like, you, you know, that those early days of a friendship where it's almost like a kind of crush and that person just seems to be so kind of amazing and or, or the longevity that's a bit more like a really long term relationship. I mean, obviously, if you take the sex out of it, but everything else there is actually quite similar. These are deep and profound relationships. Well, and let's just acknowledge that this person broke up with my best friend. She has to see the other person at work almost every day, or she said they avoid each other at all costs, but that this is kind of in her face or an awkwardness that she deals with every day. That has to make it 10 times more difficult. So that's what's difficult for our listener, I think. I, I, I think that when, even when you're not in a relationship with someone, in some ways you are still in a relationship with them because you see them, you're connected to them. You have discomfort. That's not just nothing. That's discomfort, you know, so that's all there. And she keeps asking herself, you know, how did I leave someone I loved, essentially? You know, who, who leaves a friend that's not okay? Because let's face it, if someone's drinking and being with someone that's not kind to them, then they're probably not okay. But my point is that, that yeah, you're right. Like, who does that? But, but, but also at the same point, like, well, of course you did that. What else could you do? Who could stay? And I think it's because it is a genuinely paradoxical situation. You know, it, it feels unresolved because it's unresolvable. You know, you loved her and you didn't want to let her go. And it was unmanageable. And you have. And, and I think that probably it's going to sit uncomfortably forever. I think I think sometimes endings are hard. I agree with you so much. Have you ever been in this situation where somebody was either just incredibly draining on you or even toxic, which is a word we throw around too much, but really like a little bit harmful, who you've had to break up with before? Yeah, yeah, I do. And actually, I was much, much younger, Ella, and it was super, super painful. And I honestly think that I sort of that there, there was more kind of drama and tears involved in that than any breakup I've ever had. I know exactly what you mean. And part of it is because I think at the root of broke up with my best friend's problem is that this is about self-preservation and that can be confused with selfishness. That is a really interesting point. Yes. And I think it's easy to confuse them because quite often we're feeling both of those things at once or that, you know, that they do overlap. Yeah. And I mean, I hear her loud and clear and it's so, so painful because you're like, I can't do this anymore. Like I want to be there. I want to support you. But at the end of the day, if that person is not receiving that, they're not receiving any of the wanting better things for themselves piece, it breaks mm -hmm. and you can keep pouring your life's energy into that person, but they've got a hole in the bottom of the bucket. So you're just going to keep pouring and it's going to keep coming out of the bottom of the bucket. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
I'm wondering how it feels to hear that really as the letter writer. And, and I think, you know, quite often what we want is closure. We want that thing that says, oh, but now I get it this way. It's all tidy and I get it and I can move on. But I think actually part of the skill of being an adult is sometimes being able to move on when something does feel that messy, really. You said something so important, and I think that that is the message here for Broke Up With My Best Friend, and that is that it feels unresolved because it's unresolvable. That's the pain of being an adult. So I don't think that there's anything left for her to do. Would you agree? I think, I think. let me get one thing on the table. If she went about it in a way that she's not proud of, I believe that there's always room for resolution there. Like if you ghosted somebody and you felt like that was not the grown-up thing to do, or if you broke up with them in a not as mature way as you would have liked, I think there's always room to go back and say, I did not handle that well. Please forgive me. I, I do think that there's room for that. I don't get that impression here. I get the impression here that she did something incredibly painful and incredibly necessary. And now she has to say, huh, that's what makes life so brutal, right? (laughs) The last thing that I would say here is I just want to acknowledge that that broke up with my best friend says, I miss the time she made me laugh so hard, I'd almost pee my pants. I love that so much because like, that is what you have to leave this with, right? What you have to leave is the knowledge that the friend that you had isn't around anymore. Like the friend that you had may not even exist ever again. We don't know. We won't speak into her life. We don't know what will happen on her journey. But the thing to do here is to think back about those treasures that you guys created together and remember with great fondness the times that she made you laugh so hard you almost peed in your pants. (laughs) Yeah. And that stuff comes in time. It's funny, actually, over time, you know, it, it, it life's been fairly kind. You find that the, the painful stuff sort of seeps away and that the, the joyful stuff is what, what's left, actually. That's what we wish for you, Broke Up With My Best Friend. We've all been there and I applaud your self-preservation. You know that you did the right thing and we just wish you peace in that decision. Okay, Tilly, question number two. This comes from Girlfriends at Work. My story is a girlfriend work story. I work in sales and we have a small team of women. It's a very difficult work environment and we have always had a pack to stick together. It was the only way we could survive. We would text throughout the day, including evenings and weekends. It was a wonderful feeling knowing that you were going to work with your friends every day and that they always had your back. I was particularly close with one of the women for the past four years. Our boss ended up leaving and one of the girls decided to go for the position. We all supported her 100%. Midway through the process, the one girl that I was especially close with decided to go for the position as well. It would have been fine, but the way she handled it was extremely upsetting and offensive to myself and to the others. In the last several months, things have gone from bad to worse. Now, she says the women I was close with, and I'm not sure if she means the one woman or the group of women, but let me read it the way she wrote it. The women that I was close with, we haven't spoken in months. I've tried to make amends, but she will not accept it. How do I do this every day? The grief of losing a good friend, being ignored by her every day and having to see her every day. I've been through many breakups, but this feels worse. Oh, we were just saying that. How do you let a friend go? How do you heal your heart when you have to face it every day? I've never lost anyone in this way before. One point of clarification, Tilly, do you think she's saying that she's having this trouble with the whole group or just with the one woman who offended everybody? I I think she's talking specifically about that one woman. It sounds like the whole group has slightly been sort of cast apart and and that it's become difficult, but it sounds like that one particular friendship's the one that's haunting her. Okay, Tilly, what do you have to say about this? I mean, it's sad, isn't it? It's a really sad story, actually, because it sounds like it was it was quite a persecuting environment and that, that they found some real camaraderie in that environment and, and that they had some really solid friendships. I'm actually really curious about how the friend herself is feeling right now. 
mm-hmm. because I mean, obviously we can't know, but it, it sounds to me like she got really hungry for a job and, and maybe she didn't behave all that well. Um, you know, we, we don't all behave in a way that we're proud of all the time. Actually, you can hate people sometimes for having witnessed you for being less than you want to be. I mean, it's not a very nice thing to admit, really, but I, I think we all have that. So there are people in my life, for example, that I'm reluctant to see, n- not because of anything they've done, but because of what they know I've done or what they've seen me do. Do you see my point? You can hate people because they have witnessed you being less than you would like to be. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. I've never thought about the tension there. Yeah, it's not it's not a very honorable thing to notice about yourself, but I think it's a very human thing to notice about yourself. It's it's probably why I was nervous to go to my high school reunion. <laughs> <laughs> I would hey. you went, Ella. Okay, that is so important because I think we can even do that on a micro level in existing long-term relationships. You can resent the people closest to you for having witnessed you being smaller than you want to yeah. be. Wow. Wow. Okay. Drop the mic. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So that could be what's going on with the woman with whom, like the woman who won't accept the olive branch. Yeah. 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 Sometimes you can really, you can really feel a really negative feeling from someone, but actually maybe if you drill down or or don't get the chance to drill down, but maybe it's actually because of how they're feeling about themselves in your eyes, you know? So what do you do? Um, Well, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I I, I mean, for me, I think, our listener really can only strive to feel okay about her own role here. I mean, obviously, I mean, she, she said quite a lot about how she behaved. She, she says she did nothing wrong and that she behaved really well and, and sort of that she was super kind, but it still all turned bad. And, and, and I'm sure that that's true. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that her behavior was pretty good, you know. Um, but I also think that as co-workers, if, if one of you is stepping up to boss level, all that change and all that change in dynamic it, it, it's unlikely that you wouldn't have felt or acted different in, in some way, maybe, I'm thinking. Okay, so do you mean that no matter what the outcome was, or if the woman who went for the job in a way that sort of irritated everybody else, if she'd gotten the role, and we actually don't know if she got the role or not, but if she did, that's going to shift the dynamics anyway? Yeah, I don't think she even has to get the role. Like, so, so this is <laughs> this is kind of a Freudian idea, right? This idea that quite often situations where you're like colleagues or comrades or whatever, that can bring up sibling issues for a lot of people. So, so if you imagine like the boss level is the parental level, and then under that we 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 are you know we have this sort of um, level of, of brothers and sisters, and and whether the boss level is sort of benign or oppressive, you know whether they're nice or not, it. it it still essentially means that we have that dynamic where there's the people up there and the people down there. And and actually, when we're in that child dynamic, I mean, of course, it's frustrating. That's why everybody's kind of frustrated with their boss half the time and doesn't want to be told what to do. But also there's there's some coziness to it. You know, it, as well as being infantilized, we, we find it quite a secure and safe place. A lot of people really like being managed, you know. So, so if one of the siblings, I'm doing air quotes here, which you can't see because this is radio, but... Um, it, it, <laughs> If one of the siblings steps up to be the parent, more air quotes, that that kind of um, that's going to throw up a lot of stuff for people, whether they get to be or not. Um, It's just not surprising that it got messy, I think. So I can see some of the truth in that. And I can also see how that would be entirely subconscious. People aren't walking around, you know, calling their boss (laughs) daddy. (laughs) No, no, no. That would be quite bonkers. That's that's a different show. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, daddy. I didn't didn't do that. No, so for a Freudian, the idea is that all this stuff kind of sits latent inside you and unconsciously it motivates. So sometimes just when someone pulls your chain and you don't know why, it may well be that that's symbolic of another relationship that you've had. But, you you know, that's not the level that you're thinking on and you just 
just find something irritating. Okay. And so when somebody makes that shift or even just goes for the role, then they're changing the rules, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and and surely the first, I mean, I don't, I don't know that much about it, but presumably the first line in the book about being a boss is you, they're not your friends. Like you don't get to be friends with them. You need to stay senior to them, right? I wonder how much of this is just the very idea that she wanted to leave her role as sibling, as you say, and step up. Like, I wonder how much of this is things that happen and how much of this is things that were churned up in the subconscious that nobody realizes are actually going on. I think you're exactly right, Ella. I really think like for our reader or for someone in that situation, it doesn't have to actually happen, does it, to bring up the stuff? I mean, just the abandonment of one minute all being in the same level and then one saying, actually, I'm, I'm going to step up. Could, especially if it was done in an uncomfortable way. And and, and also to give credit to the, 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 the person who, who did it, like she probably behaved badly and did it in an uncomfortable way because that dynamic is hard for her too, right? Yeah, I have empathy for everybody in this situation without knowing anything, by the way. Yeah. But whenever there's awkwardness, we don't always we don't always handle it our very best. And it sounds like this person is possibly maybe resenting the fact that her friend witnessed her do this in a way that she's not proud of. The thing is, we, we, we want, like I was saying earlier, we want friendships to be solid things that we own, something we can keep forever. And, and, and when we lose them, you know, the, the grief can be really profound. But, but I think we need to start thinking about our friendships as a process rather than a object. Like, you can't have them, you do them. And so they shift over time and they change shape. And I think if we start to think about them much more as that kind of fluid process, maybe we could feel more okay about when they work and when they don't. You know, circumstances change and so does a friendship. You know what, Tilly, I saw something else in here too that I just want to make sure is not happening. I just want to make mm-hmm. sure that there's no group think happening here. This is not a group problem. This is a group that comprises several individuals. But the woman who wrote the letter, who we're calling Girlfriends at Work, she is only responsible for her role in this. And I just hope that she is not participating in a group dynamic when it comes to ostracizing or being over that particular friend. Or if she does, because we do, if she does, that she's able to identify that and then be accountable for that piece with her friend. Ella, I don't know, you have a pretty good layer of skin between you and the rest of the world. And you're very good at owning your stuff and not being that permeable to to other people's, you know, ebb and flow. And I, I I think it's really admirable and I think it's something all of us could work towards is is that sense that like, you know, that that is your stuff and this is my stuff. Am I okay with what I did? And if not, how am I going to step up and take accountability for that? Yeah, no, I think that's a really good comment. Okay, so let's talk about this on a practical level and give girlfriends at work some ideas. In my opinion, I mean, what she has said is she has tried to reach out. She said that she has tried to make amends and the estranged friend won't accept it. She says that very, very specifically. There's only so much you can do. Am I right, Tilly? Yeah, yeah, there is. There is. And actually, sometimes doing doesn't doesn't help. It it may just be that this is a period of reconfiguration. You know, it may just be that, I don't know, this might not be the same friendship again, but it may be some other kind of connection that feels a lot less painful at some point. Again, this is not my phrase, but there is a phrase that that you have to have a river before you make a bridge, you know, and, and it, it could just be that this needs some space around it for everybody to catch their breath before people start finding how they connect, can connect in a, in a constructive way. 
wait, what's the river here? I'm lost. <laughs> so you have to have a river to make a bridge. I suppose what it means is that there needs to be a gap before you start making peace over the top of it. You know, like, like stop waving the olive branch and, and give her a minute. You know, you may find that, that not by being cold and ostracizing, but, but simply by just giving the woman some space that, that they find their own way to connect again. And can we just acknowledge here, nothing makes us more crazy than being ignored and misunderstood, right? Like that is such a toxic combination to be misunderstood and ignored. I don't know about you, but it makes my head spin around in circles. Yeah. And it's something actually I've been working on for years because you can't control what other people think of you and running around trying to is going to make you crazy. Like they will have a different version of events to you and you can't just keep hammering at home until they surrender to your version of events. They will have a version of events where you behave badly and they behave well or some other such. But trying to make them buy into yours is is unlikely to go well. The only thing that I would ever do in a situation like this, because I believe in what you're saying, which is giving space, uh, may just be the right answer because we're having rivers and we're having bridges, but we need a river. <laughs> like, I get it. What I would probably do in order, because we all still want resolution. We want everything to be neat and tidy and we want closure, right? And yeah. those are myths. Those are mythological. They are unicorns. However, if she feels misunderstood, and I would say this is actually true also for letter number one, if she feels terribly misunderstood, I do think there's room sometimes to sit back and to write a letter to that person, like a good old fashioned letter with a with like a pen and a piece of paper and express oneself, even if they never see the letter. But a loving, a letter that comes from loving kindness. And it's like, I understand we're in a different place. I feel accountable for this and this. I know we're having our own experience in this. And I just want you to know, should you ever find your way back to our friendship, I am here and I love you and Godspeed. Like, I think that there's sometimes room for that. What do you think? I think that's lovely, Ella. I, I think I can tell that means you don't like it. No, <laughs> oh, yes, sorry. In England, we say that. But yeah, no. Um, so... Time out. Translation. If you're talking to your English friend and she says, that's lovely, you know it's crap. <laughs> God, we are that passive aggressive. I'm sorry. So, no, it is lovely. It is genuinely lovely. But it is also the fact that you said maybe you don't even give it to her that I think is interesting because I suppose that's my point really is that y yes, we reach out, be kind, be generous, come from a good place, but, but, but also um, n n know that really it's the fact that you've said it that matters rather than whether she's heard it or not. The thing I would do here is probably offer some don't do's because I think it's, I think there's so little you can do. I think that it's a lot easier, Tilly, to talk about some don't do's. So some of the don't do's I would throw on the table is don't make this a conversation amongst the group. Like this is not a conversation to be had amongst the group. It's not going to solve anything and it's only going to make things worse. The other thing I wouldn't do is I wouldn't do anything really that broadcasters are involved anybody else. Like I just would encapsulate this and treat it for what it is and not let it get bigger than it is. What would you add to that? Uh, again, I, I wouldn't have said that. And I'm so glad you did because um, as somebody that struggles with the feeling of being misunderstood, if you can't reach that person, quite often what you want to do is turn to the people around both of you and make them hear your version of events. And um, I don't, I don't think it's helpful. I think you're right. I think it adds, it, it adds charge to the fire, you know, keep it in its rightful place, you know, give, give the old friendship, the respect of letting it, letting it, 
quietened down. Yeah, it's so difficult, though, because we're talking about this as though we would always know the right thing to do. And I think... For me, I would find it really hard to simply not talk about it and wish her well, but I would aspire to that. I think that is the right thing to do. Girlfriends at work raised one more question. She said, how do I do this every day, manage the grief of losing a good friend and being ignored by her every day, having to see her every day? day. And so I think that's particularly challenging. The only thing that I would offer here, I think, would be the reminder that what we focus on grows. And so if there was somebody at work who I was at odds with and I felt ignored by, like there was an action that was happening every day, I was actively being ignored by that person every day. If I fixated on that, that would feel like a thorn in my side every single day. So I would just encourage girlfriends at work, I mean, honestly, to find every other thing to focus on and to direct your energy toward because what you focus on grows. So this is going to be as big or small in your frame as you let it be. Yeah. Tilly, are you ready for our third and final? This is, um, yeah, this is intense. Well, writer number three, she says, my question is about maintaining female friendships. I always lose them. My expectation in my mind isn't high, but perhaps it may be for others. I'm a sensitive person, so if a friend doesn't respond to a text, email, or call in a day or two, it hurts. If I take the time to remember a birthday or do a nice gesture like a small gift, like one truffle and a card for for something like Mother's Day, and a friend never thinks of me in return, it hurts. If I go out with two friends and they start chatting it up and I'm left kind of watching, that hurts too. The point is, as much as I try to roll with things or just accept things with a lower expectation, I feel unfulfilled and resentful to the point where things go south and then end. I long for a best friend, and perhaps what I long for more is someone to look at me in that way, which has never happened despite my outgoing and open nature. Is it too much to want a reciprocated investment and connection and friendship? I feel that losing friends is a destructive pattern in my life since being devastated by a friend in my young childhood that dumped me for another girl and perhaps I have not recovered from that rejection. I am 45 and it's really hard to form friendships at this stage in life since the majority of people already have their friends and aren't looking for new ones. Tilly, there are a lot of narratives being created in this letter. Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Oh, I am. I am. And it's really painful, actually. This letter's a little bit different. What, Tilly, what do you see here? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because this kind, sensitive, lovely person has written a letter that's quite different to the other two, really. I mean, the other two letters really do have other actors in their story. But, but this letter really is just about her. And I think it's because she is acting out the same story again and again, essentially. So so it's a test. She's essentially setting up little tests so that people can prove to her that, that they're not going to look at her in that way, that they're not going to want to be her best friend. Her script is, you know, I try and it hurts. I try and it hurts. I try and it hurts. That that hurt is real. Absolutely, she experiences that, and that's painful. But I don't know, Ella, do you have... I mean, I really feel that, that it's about her expectations because when we really expect something to happen, we have a knack of kind of unconsciously pulling that behavior out of the people around us. If she's coming to these relationships thinking that she will ask for more intimacy than people want to give her, that's what's going to happen. Do, do, do you see what I mean? Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. So I should have mentioned that the handle for this letter writer is always lose. Okay. I see so much self-limiting belief in here and I love you always lose and I want to wrap my arms around you, but I'm also going to kick your butt a little bit. <laughs> 
Let me share some of the stories I see here. I see I always lose female friendships. If I go out with friends and they chat it up, that hurts. Things will then go south and end. Is it too much to want reciprocation? I was devastated by my friend in young childhood. We'll definitely talk about that, Tilly. Um, Yeah, Yeah. It's really hard to form friendships at this age. And people already have their friends. They aren't looking for new ones. I mean, there's so many narratives in here that I want to blow to smithereens. No, no, but the reason there's so many, the reason that there's so many narratives there, Ella, is because there's that each one is a brick in a wall of self-defense. I think she's, I mean, she's, she's a clever woman. She knows somewhere in her heart, she knows what this is about. And, and I think it's really clear that, that it's about when she was little, you know, when she was little, she trusted someone with her heart and her soul and they let her down. And that's devastating. And actually being small doesn't make it better. That just means that you have to experience it not knowing that the world might get better again, because it's the first time you felt that bad. And she experienced it as very devastating. And I think she learned from that the lesson people won't want to be friends with her. People won't, won't want to be her best friend. And, and, and so to defend herself against that pain, she has a habit. You know, her habit is that she gives everyone else the fault for the friendships never getting off the ground. So, so she sets up all these micro rejections. I give you a truffle, you do nothing. We go out for dinner, you chat it up with someone else. All of these things are, are just little tests that people can fail so that she doesn't have to run the risk of feeling that she's got a truly best friend that she loves that could hurt her again. Yeah, Tilly, I see so many tests here. And, and I'm, I'm laughing. I'm not laughing at the gravitas and the pain of this letter. That's real. I'm laughing at me because I would fail every test that Always Lose would set up for me. She would think I was the worst friend in the world. And I would be, meanwhile, <laughs> this right? This would not be a great relationship for you. That's true. Like, I would fail every single test that she has. And I say that, honestly, to also be somewhat constructive and say, you know, this this scenario, I think a lot of people can see this already. This is not, this does not just apply to friendship. A lot of people do this in their intimate relationships as well. And we are trying to get our partners, whether it's our friend or our loved one, trying to get them to want to show us how very important we are without actually expressing our own needs. So we set up these tests for them to pass or fail. And invariably over time, they will fail them. And, and it's absurd, but I mean, we, anybody with a sort of any sense of self-reflection knows that they do it sometimes, right? Like this, we're not saying that there's something like weirdly wrong with always losers. Like, like we all have the capacity to behave like this. And it's, it's very natural to defend yourself against pain. If you didn't, you would be, a, you know, you would be roadkill. But we have to encourage always lose to do something about these narratives, Ella, because Because if she keeps trying to defend herself against the pain of friendship, if she keeps putting people in a situation where they've lost before they even start, she she won't get the friendship that she so desperately wants. And she sounds like a fantastic friend. She sounds adorable. How do you do that? Like, how do you get over yourself? Yeah, there's the million dollar question. I mean, some of it, I think, is, is, is emotional and some of it's intellectual. Intellectual, I suppose, I mean, just having some very concrete things to think about. So the gift, you know, I mean, there's actually lots of writing about the spirit of the gift. There's some really interesting work around gift. But really, a, a very important writer called Marcel Mauss made a, a case for, for the gift never actually being the object that you give. The object that you give is almost irrelevant. The idea is that the feelings around the gift are the things that 
that one is exchanging. So the truffle is never a truffle, right? The truffle is simply the indebtedness. So I give you a truffle so that you have some kind of connection to me that's sitting in the ether waiting to come back to me at some point. So really, you're demonstrating trust every time you give someone something, because when you truly give, you're just putting it out there in the universe and feeling like that's an okay thing to do, and it will come back in kind in some way. And I don't simply mean in terms of objects. It's quite true. We have some friends that never buy a thing, and we have some friends who, who, who are great at listening. And, you know, we can't, we can't add these things up. But really what I'm saying is you have to be vulnerable. You have, you have to be willing to throw it out there, to sit through a dinner and, and, and let someone chat it up with somebody else and still go home feeling like that's a genuine friendship. You have to be able to give someone a truffle and never have a truffle back and still think that that could be a great and valuable and potentially best friendship. It's about the risk of vulnerability. It's about being brave enough to love people without testing them all the time. And that's hard. And you're making me think of The Five Love Languages, that book by Dr. Gary Chapman. I would hazard a guess that Always Lose, one of her love languages is gifts, gift giving. And she probably doesn't realize how much of herself is wrapped up in those gestures. And that that's a real, that means an enormous amount to her. And somebody else's love language might be quality time or physical affection or words of affirmation. And they just, they're like, thanks for the truffle. And they blow right by it. But, but they think because they're having quality time with their friend that, you know, and their needs are being met that that like, that's a good day for them. So, I mean, we really do speak different languages. I'll link to this book in the show notes, but we really do express ourselves differently. And I don't think always loses leaving room for her friends to express themselves in their own language. I think she's waiting to see them express themselves in her language. I think it would be a really good starting place for Always Lose. While we're doing book recommendations, can I also just flag up uh, Brene Brown's work on vulnerability? Um, We can put that in the show notes too, can we? Yes, perfect. Yeah. And and I think the combination, perhaps, of those two books would be a really good starting place for Always Lose. And if you do read those books and have some thoughts, we'd love to hear from you again about how you're taking risks and how that feels. That's so true. If Always Lose is still willing to be our friends. Um, Because... (laughs) We've been yeah. very direct was, was with you, always, Ella? I don't know. Was that a butt-kicking, Ella? I mean, I, 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 the last thing I want to do is, is point out what someone's doing wrong in a way that hurts, because actually it feels so human and so what we all do. Well, there might be one swift kick to the butt, and that is this. I don't care how old you are, always lose. Your age is absolutely not relevant. Don't you dare tell yourself a story of scarcity, that that nobody has room for friendships anymore because you're 45. That is a bunch of garbage, and you just need, honestly, I have nothing to say about that except that it is not serving you. Get rid of it. Like That story will be true as long as you decide that it is, and it will not be true the moment you decide that it isn't. The energy that you're putting out out into the world right now is, I am not worthy, nobody loves me, and nobody's willing to be my friend anyway. And you would make a wonderful friend for so many different types of people. Put the energy out in the world that you want to attract and no more, no more of this scarcity thing. I just, I won't, I won't let it happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, obviously she's been told. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, absolutely, Ella. Okay, Tilly, this was fun and super interesting. And I wonder if it was at all thought provoking for anybody. We would love to hear from you. And also, we want more of your questions. So we have several more that have already been submitted that I think, Tilly, if you'll come back on, I think we'll do this again. I'd love to. I've, I've, 
I love your show, Ella, but I, I love I love your listeners as well. I loved working with them on, on your retreat. And I want more. I feel like the conversation's just started. I agree. And guys, it's not just about relationships, although those are obviously key and critical and fascinating. And we'll take all questions in that vein. But please know that this also involves business. It can involve health and wellness. It can involve financial health. It can involve really any slice of that life wheel balance pie. Oh, yeah. Talk to us about independence. Talk to us about money. Talk to us about about anything in your life where you're just you're you're trying to do better or, or you're feeling some kind of stuckness that you can't push past we'd just love to explore it with you guys thanks so much for your questions thanks to those of you who were willing to be vulnerable with us for this first go at this tilly thanks thank you ella that was great okay talk to you later Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.